Hello and welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Uh, today on the program, we have uh, a cool band, uh, a really fun band, actually. We had a really great conversation. It's a band called Bird Talker. And um, and I was really digging their uh, music leading up to uh, the interview also, listening in uh, preparation for it. So uh, really excited to have them on. Um, I want to thank everybody uh, who has subscribed to the pro uh, program on YouTube recently uh, or liked us on Instagram, um, reached out in any way. Uh, you can uh, check us out on YouTube at Concert Pipeline if you're listening you know, uh, uh, on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Uh, but thank you to all of the new YouTube subscribers. Um, Bottle Rock has been a, a big success for Concert Pipeline. Uh, we were there in a number of uh, some of the memorable moments uh, at Bottle Rock, and uh, and we have some pretty awesome footage uh, from the festival. Uh, a lot of it around Dave Grohl. Uh, uh, for those that have tuned into the program before, you'll know that um, I am a big fan of Dave Grohl. Uh, we talk about him on every podcast uh, at the end of the the program, usually doing a uh, a music news story that includes Dave Grohl. Um, so, I mean, he just always has something amazing going on and is uh, doing something uh, awesome. So, uh, so thank you to, the, to those that have tuned in uh, and, um, and checked out the uh, footage that we posted of Guns N' Roses playing Paradise City um, and Dave Grohl coming out uh, uh, to play that with them. And then the uh, curfew hitting and the power being shut down. Uh, it's a uh, it was a really epic performance, and uh, and there's a lot of chatter. I mean, it's it's amazing to see all the comments on the video. Also, people yeah, like who are big Guns N' Roses fans and saying, "Oh, this is so great! I, it's great to hear Axel singing and uh, and him and Slash together." Uh, and then others that are like, "Oh, Axel's voice is horrid. Uh, it's horrible. You know, this is a garbage. I should have hung up the towel years ago and what have you." And whatever side you may lean on. Um, I will just say that uh, I don't disagree about the quality of Axl Rose's voice at this stage in the game. I mean, there's only so long you can maintain uh, that level of tone and what it does to your uh, to your vocal cords. Uh, but I will tell you, stage presence-wise and dynamic uh, between the band was incredible that uh, that evening to see um, Axel and Slash together. Uh, and I mentioned this on one of the other podcasts you know, or programs that we did. But um, you know, I know I'm a little late to the game. I didn't see Guns N' Roses at any point in the past couple of years since they reunited. Um, and, but um, but this so this was the first time, and I was right there. I was very close, and it was an incredible performance and then just them bringing out them bringing out pink was cool for a couple seconds i was more or less indifferent in uh that regard but i'm like hey cool uh pink but and that, but then bringing out dave Grohl was epic um and uh and it's great there are some people on the uh, comments also commented towards a feud that nirvana had had with guns and roses like 30 or you know years ago or whatever it is at this point uh ridiculous so it's like come on, you know, people move on and people, uh, you can get over things. So you should probably just move on yourself if, uh, if that's kind of what, where you're standing. But, uh, but again, really incredible festival. Um, we have a lot of great bands coming up. And so I'm toying with the idea of putting out more than one program a week uh, for a little bit to help us catch up because like I said, we have Bird Talker uh, today on the program. We also have Pat McManus band, um, which is really cool. Um, Wild Rivers coming up, uh, the Zombies, 
the zombies are going um, and uh, a performance at Abbey Road Studios where you could, um, it's live, gonna be live streamed so you could buy tickets to that. Um, I recommend it. Uh, really had a good uh, talk with Rod Argent um, about that performance and so much more. Um, and uh, and then a band, a band of silver. There's so much coming up here on Concert Pipeline. So the best way to stay tuned is to hit the subscribe button and um, and continue to check out more programs uh, that, that we have rolling out. So uh, so that's what's going on here. Um, nothing too much outside of that. I mean, pretty calm weekend overall besi besides that. Um, we are gearing up towards duck hunting season, which I get really excited for. So you're, if, uh, if you're uh, a listener or viewer of the program, you're going to be hearing a lot about duck hunting when we get to late October. Uh, but um, I'm looking forward to getting out. I don't know how the conditions are going to be. I mean, there's not a lot of water in, uh, um, in many places because um, it hasn't rained here. But, uh, but it will be fun just to get out anyway, hopefully hit a couple of birds. Um, it's a really fun hobby of mine and I enjoy those three months that, uh, that I get to do that. So, uh, so that's what we have to look forward to. So, like I said, bird talker is on the program. Um, honestly, I was expecting just the, um, Zach and Danny from, um, from bird talker to be on the program. And then they came into the interview and it was the whole band, which was, uh, which was really cool. They, uh, performed a song for the program. We had a great, uh, chat as well. So I'm not going to, waste a lot of time uh, talking. I say, let's just get into the interview with Bird Talker. And uh, here it is. Nice to meet you. Seems like we're all uh, all around. So we'll uh, we'll start with the song, I guess, right? At the, when you guys get set up and oh, yeah, start, start with the song. With the song. Cool. Is it whatever, whatever works for you, you know, we're totally, totally flexible, so. No, that'd be great. We will. Come in and like embrace it the way that yeah. yeah, that's great. Okay, well then let's do this. Do you want the chair for the song? No, I'll take I'll take this little guy. Move this. Is the video being used, Steve, or is it just the audio? Um, we'll use the video for YouTube. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna use the video too. So. Okay. Oh well, then we will uh, try to make it look good. Yes. <laughs> just pretty it up as much as you can. No, no pressure or anything. So. You guys look like you have a great setup there, though. Yeah, this is Brian's house. It's his little uh, living living room, not living room, rec room, rec room, converted into rehearsal space. It's really lovely. This works great for us. Nice. Is is that where you recorded the album, or? Uh... No, we recorded the record at uh, one of our friends' houses. His name is John David Tyner, JD, and uh, we did it in his basement. He has a little studio there. Nice. We recorded the our first project too, and we just came yeah. back and circled back and saw how each other had grown, and it just felt really good, really easy. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And if we're lucky, we'll get a grunt out of it. Yeah, might get a snort. <laughs> might get a snort. Yes. Uh, okay, you guys ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. This song's called "The Dream," and it uh, it's not a single on the record, but it's really fun for us to play and we thought it would be fun to share we're here to have fun yes we are okay ready mm -hmm. one two one two three four Excuse me, right? 
Ain't no reason to fear. My God, carry on with your life. My God, ain't no reality to be torn from. You can never be far away from the love that you've been waiting on. love it <laughs> that was that was great well thank thank you guys first off for starters i mean that's uh, that's an awesome way to uh, start our chat today so uh, I, I appreciate it and i appreciate you guys taking the time Dude, thanks for yeah, thank wanting you. us to talk to you <laughs> yes <laughs> so um uh, I'll, I'll kind of share a little bit of my voyage to your music uh, uh for starters and then we can get into some of the questions and information and backstory and all of that fun stuff but you know um as I, as I do these interviews, like I, I do as much research as I can on the band and, uh, and to really get to know them, listen to the music, check out whatever interviews I can. Didn't find a lot of interviews with you guys, but what I did find was your Pete Holmes interview uh, from er earlier in the year. And, uh, and I listened to the whole thing on, um, on Tuesday. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of depth there. So, you know, I'll touch on a couple of things, you know, that I, that I pulled out of that, but I just, I mean, Powerful music, uh, first of all. Really dig it. Thank you. Start, start there. There's no question attached to that one, other than <laughs> then thank you for the music because I mean because it is uh, it's really been a joy to get to uh, to hear it and uh, and get into your stuff. So um, uh, I want to start um, with 
uh, Zach and Danny and kind of the, uh, the relationship there, because it, what was interesting to me was you guys got married in about 2012, right? Exactly 2012. Exactly. I, I know the about quote piece probably not as relevant, but exactly 2012. But you didn't start making music together until later. Yeah, we had never made music before until we got married. And it was probably the next year, I think it was 2013, that we wrote a song together and it kind of kept rolling from there. Yeah, yeah I, I very, very casually, with no ambition, made stuff in college and even post-college a little bit. I had a couple friends that I lived with that, you know, we'd get in the garage and he'd, I had a friend named Nate who played banjo and we'd learn like Earl Scruggs songs and, and uh, riff on them and like change them a little bit and like add lyrics. And it was just for fun, you know? And so I brought that energy into the relationship early on and would still do that on my own time. And yeah, the first song we wrote was, uh, I was stuck writing a bit and Danny's brilliant. She's a, an English major and I'm, I like the way she speaks and writes. And I just asked her for help and something that would have taken me much longer took us a very short amount of time. And we just kept doing it because it felt good. And yeah. that's sort of how the first project was born. Yeah, and so, so beforehand, I mean, you both have musical backgrounds and kind of came up in music that, uh, in families kind of that had uh, musical influences. I know you both started with kind of piano uh, a little bit. Um, tell me, tell me a little bit about that, like how you um, how you got your start and kind of where you branched off to. Uh, I'll go first. Yeah, I grew up uh, in a conservative church that was very um, focused on accurate harmony in the just like the casual worship setting. And my parents were two who took that very seriously and would have the proper like embouchure and vowels. And I think as a kid, I was just fascinated by how that sounded. And so very early on, I have like even before I could string sentences together, I was had an interest in harmony and voices. And then my mom was the before my dad ripped her out of college to marry her was the concert pianist at Pepperdine. And so I was exposed to piano and her in her exploration in the home and also in the lessons that I took from her as a young kid. Um, so that was, that was sort of the inception of my like fascination with music and notes and harmonies and all those little ingredients that go into making a song. Did it, when you, when you were learning the piano, did it feel like a chore or did you, did you enjoy it? I've talked to people, you know, people who started with piano, that's a typical one to start with. And, and it, I've seen it both ways, right? Like that they push back on it a lot, but then come back to it later. So that yeah, that is exactly what happened with me for sure. I, I, uh, my interest in tinkering was noticed by my mother, and she wanted to sort of shape it with a, uh, with knowledge, and technical prowess. And I just, I rejected that. Like within three weeks of lessons, I was, I wanted to stop, and I did. And I'd still visit the piano, but it was still in a little bit of the shade of, of like, am I doing this right? Instead of just having fun and exploring. So I, 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 I sort of stopped visiting it for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Had to be at your pace. So yeah, um, exactly. And how, how about you, Danny? Yeah. Um, I grew up, so my family's from upstate New York, but they moved 
uh, down to Nashville right before I was born because my dad wanted to be a country music songwriter. So I grew up um, with him kind of making that dream come alive for himself. So um, yeah, so I just, I grew up in a house where like there was, there was just a lot of music playing all the time. I was kind of, you know, absorbed it that way. And then um, got into piano lessons pretty casually and like fell into that familiar storyline of like I was pretty much over it once I got to high school you know um so yeah I kind of fell away from creating music really until Zach and I got together and started doing this project together so um yeah so that's when I really came back to it came back to that. yeah did you ever write with your dad at all sharing that interest with him no it's funny he's never written never written a no book. no but he should i'd like to that'd be cool has he is he still writing music he is yeah my older brother does as well and they're um really really good at it so yeah it's kind of a family trade <laughs> yeah yeah uh, and uh, and for the uh, for the rest of the band i mean you all met at uh, at college right and you were uh, kind of making music since since back then uh, I met Zach in college, um, and weirdly enough, sent him a Facebook message in our freshman class group uh, about how we both like some of the same things, so we should totally be in a band. Um, but at the same time, I had no business being in a band uh, as far as my musical ability. And so it wasn't until, I don't know, six, seven years later that that actually came to fruition. Um, and then... Brian, who just stepped out, uh, saw Zach and Danny play at an event. Uh, I guess the first ever time y'all played publicly. Yeah. Oh yeah. And Brian, carry oh, on. Yeah. How yeah. you got involved? Oh, nice. You were there because you knew my sister. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and you uh, very bravely came up to us afterwards. And that was brave to me. Yeah. And and you wanted to jam, right, Brian? Exactly. I was like new in town and just wanted to get involved with people who played music that I liked. Uh, I was looking for gigs, like paid gigs, <clears throat> but when I heard the concert and I saw the concert, I didn't care about that part of it and just thought we should just, I'd love to play music and told them every instrument that I play. And <laughs> Zach was like, oh, okay, we'll probably find one of those things will work. Quietly, I was like, I don't, what's jamming? I don't know what I'm <laughs> jam. So yeah. So, I, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I just didn't encouraged them to come over to my small apartment in Hillsborough Village and kind of iPhone recorded like this said play your songs and was sort of trying to learn them and recorded them on my phone so that the next time I saw you guys I could I sort of knew how the songs went and they kind of went from there mm -hmm. yeah how, how did you cope with the jamming Zach the, sorry the what the, the jamming, like that can be put into that place, like when you're actually performing, right? You had to kind of move on, uh, you yeah. know. Like... I mean, my, even, even now I consider myself a very moderate guitar player. You know, I didn't have chops or dexterity and athleticism on the fretboard. And so jamming for me, what that trans, that word translated is make stuff up like melodies and chord progressions on the fly, you know, with all your knowledge. And I had a, chord base of about five or six chords at that point and so um i just used those over and over again 
and that was jamming for me and still so yeah I probably added a few more chords though <laughs> do you find yourself doing more jamming now than uh you know <laughs> that you're kind of more comfortable with it a little bit uh yes <laughs> I'm more comfortable with that situation uh, but yeah. I usually I, I follow still typically um what's happening in the room yeah but yeah. it's uh, it's a uh, that's fine with me for now yeah, and, and you moved to Nashville like in high school, right? Like how was that transition for you? Like starting at a new school and kind of having to, uh, you know, find your identity within all these other uh, uh, kids who had known each other forever? That was a strange and very transformative season for me, for sure. I mean, I moved here uh, on my parents' whim. I had a sister who was doing things that they disagreed with on a like an ethical and moral level. She's sneaking out and drinking and smoking some weed. We live in Seattle. Yeah. And she's two years older than I am. And they, uh, they looked on the internet for Christian schools in the Bible belt and ordered an information packet on one in Nashville. And um, we visited maybe like four months after we got the packet and the video. And then in less than a year, we were all down here. We moved. Uh, for the kids, you know, from my parents' perspective. Uh, and that transition was strange, man. I remember very, my first memory is getting made fun of for saying the word both instead of both. I remember that and other experiences similar to it. So there, it was a cultural shift for sure, even just in dialect. Um, and yeah, breaking into those social hierarchies of the high school was tough at first. I had a couple people reach out pretty early on, which made me feel very um like they made me feel pretty safe at least in those two couple relationships a guy named grant pollock and a guy named robbie coles um but yeah the the social hierarchy was pretty established a lot of those kids had been there since they were in kindergarten or first grade and so getting new friends was took a lot of like offensive work for me which yeah. i wasn't i was a pretty shy kid yeah. Yeah. And did you find yourself kind of trying to change the way you spoke to adapt to the, the new environment at all? Or did you just kind of stay true to just your upbringing? And I didn't like consciously have a strong affectation, like an accent. I didn't absorb an accent real fast. I think now I, it creeps out sometimes, but it's more of a natural progression than choosing to assimilate by pretending um, if that yeah, that makes sense to say. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and so uh, tell me about um, as uh, as the band was forming um, and you guys were, were kind of getting your start, uh, Nate Yetten uh, had a, a really big impact to, uh, to your band, right? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? We, on our own, were making music we made the ep i think it was the video for my lover the video for my lover yeah that's right we, we posted a, a self-made video with a friend i think gavin shot it no andy did, I think andy, did. andy our uh, the drummer that used to be in our band shot it for us and we posted it on facebook and all the social media and, uh what's the shortest way to say this somebody that we a mutual contact that we didn't know we shared um somebody who went to high school with Nate in Salt Lake City, uh, we had met and they like tagged Nate 
in the in the video in the comments and shortly thereafter we had a message in our direct messages slid into our he, he slid <laughs> he slid in there and said we should get coffee and i didn't know who it was or why i should want to get coffee with him and then i googled his name and i saw his resume and i was very flattered and incredibly nervous to talk with him because up to that point we had no real ambition i mean brian had put a fire under us a little bit to just play shows because most of the music just lived in a bedroom for a couple years mostly one year we just practiced not working towards anything except for getting the songs right i guess <laughs> uh and uh so yeah we met with nate and he became our manager long story short and he facilitated relationships with some people who worked at uh, the DSPs, Apple and Spotify, and uh, introduced us to our distributor named Sean Fowler, who works at Tone Tree. Um, we're not working with him for this project, uh, but we did with the first one. Yeah, he basically facilitated an incredible depth and um, just our roster, like our team. He helped us assemble our team when we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And it was invaluable. Yeah, his work with us was invaluable. Yeah. And so from that, like, heavy rose from the from the ashes and became this, like, mantra success for you guys, right? I mean, it's so, like, what was that experience like for you, uh, for you guys to, to go from, you know, from this band that you guys were just, you know, getting, getting started and getting to know, I mean, know the dynamic and everything to... To, to having such uh, success with a, a song that's resonated with millions of people. What was that like? What was that like? <laughs> Just in two words, okay. Yeah, yeah crack it. I think one of the strangest things, it, it's not entirely specific to our band, but I'm sure that it's happening more and more now than ever is the dissociation from success when the measure of success is just a ticking number on a screen. Um, yeah. Because we haven't reached the point in playing live concerts where we're selling out theaters or anything like that, um, which will be nice and, and hope we, we make it to that point. But so much of what we've seen and um, experienced as success has been digital and not very personal. And so it, I don't think, for me at least, it registered as uh, being impactful until we started touring our first full-length record, and I noticed that people were engaged, and they were real, and they had stories, and they had experiences, and the way that they connected with the songs uh, is so much more interesting than seeing a stream count. Um, and so while that like stream count has made it possible for us to do what we're doing, uh, it's a strange experience uh, to be separated from a tangible expression of, of how it's hitting people and how it's actually connecting, uh, which is what we all love about music in the first place is that connection. Yeah. I didn't even have a Spotify account when heavy was put on it. <laughs> like I didn't even use it. You had to get one to see, <laughs> see what's going on. huh? Yeah. And I sort of had to be told that it was exciting. What was happening, <laughs> you know? No, really, this is big. Yeah. Yeah, this is like, this is unusual what's happening to this song. Let's keep watching it. And so that excited me. Like, this is unusual. I'm unusual. This is good. Uh, it, but yeah, I totally validate what Jesse said. I, it was hard to relate to on, a, on an experiential level. 
other than my brain and like my biochemical reaction to the excitement I was being told I should experience. Yeah. I haven't seen those 70 million faces yet, but we'd love to. <laughs> you know, COVID's been a part of that, right? So, you know, it'll be there after COVID, I'm sure. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So um, you had mentioned um, Andy and um, and I know he left the, the band back in, uh, in March and he was a lot of the reason that you got kind of um, started as well like you you, uh, you posted on Facebook about like um, how he um, asked you to play music in a stairwell and in, up until that point like that was a turning point for you right yeah I think in a lot of ways it's nice to have somebody else outside of your own neurotic brain to like give you permission to do something that's good for you you know and hold space for that so that's Andy definitely provided that for me early on it was like you can fuck up and like still have fun <laughs> he's like you can i don't have to do it perfect coming from that religious background that was a paradigm that i certainly was inside of and so that was that was uh i'm you know incredibly grateful for that early space that he offered me and that excitement about just making stuff make sounds together that was really yeah. special for me and important yeah yeah um, I think a lot of the power of your music is, you know, I mean, obviously the music, but also, but the lyrics behind it as well. And, uh, and I know Danny, you mentioned you're an English, uh, you're an English major. Uh, so you have this kind of writing background that I think leverage itself to a lot of these powerful musics. But one thing that interests me um, was, and I got this from the Pete Holmes conversation was you, you talked about sarcasm in, uh, in music. How does that play a part for you? How do you leverage that in? Oh God, um, sarcasm is a coping mechanism for sure. Um, so I think it kind of just comes out in what I write because I've, um, I mean, as you can hear in the songs, like uh, I've been processing, like coming out of religion and just sort of, trying to make sense of uh, kind of big topics in my life. And that has been um, an overwhelming thing for me because um, I think I'm just a, I'm a very feeling person and struggle with depression and all those things. And so I think sarcasm has always been like a little, you know, kind of a defense mechanism to keep those trickier subjects at arm's length, you know, and feel a little bit of power over. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you, Danny, also mentioned, um, I mean, Towards the Sun, your song Towards the Sun is, I mean, about kind of needing to practice joy, laughing more and tell people you love them. Can you tell me kind of your experience, you know, that led to that song? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember when I actually wrote that song, but um, it was at least a couple years ago. Yeah, because it's been a couple years. But yeah, I mean, it's essentially um, when you go round and round with depression, I think um, I'm grateful that I got uh, some moments of 
clarity, I think, where I was able to snap out of it. And a lot of that came from like people in my life and Zach and friends. Um, and I think it just, I really needed that, like um, people to kind of snap me out of it and get me out of my head and bring me into just the life that's right in front of me. And so that um, continues to be a practice. I mean, I was on the floor in tears this morning and then like just had to roll the windows down on the way here and dealt out Rufus Wainwright and just like let it all be okay. Like let the things that are right in front of you kind of be enough. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of what that song's about. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you, when your guys are playing live, do you, do you go to a place where, tell me if kind of the place you go to, because um, with the, with music that's powerful and that personal, like, do you find yourself going back to those experiences that led up to writing those songs at all? No. Okay. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> so, sometimes yes, but that is a rarity. And that's not a value statement. Like I, I, uh, those are very rich experiences. You know, maybe before a show, I talk to somebody and they're very eager to tell me how a song has impacted them and a, the whole story behind why. And in the wake of things like that, it's very for, easy for me to, you know, when the song and the set list comes up that they're referring to, it's like, I see Ashley or whoever in my brain and remember that going into my own shit or going into hers or going to any of ours is, uh, is a way in for other people too. And, um, but overall, I'm, I just have memorized the lyrics <laughs> and I just, yeah. I spit them out because it's too much to feel every night. Yeah. That'd be way too emotionally it's too exhausting. Heavy. I think it's a, it's a lot. I'm going to say <laughs> every song. So yeah, I feel the same way. I kind of have to put a little bit of a wall up and so just to be able to play the set, you know, I'll say definitely yeah. as somebody who doesn't write the songs, there's certainly times where those lyrics and seeing people sing them back will sneak up on you for so. sure yeah <laughs> you right in the face yeah it does happen yeah um being in nashville i know uh grand old opry is like kind of a you know milestone venue to be able to play and i've talked to bands that have played there and just this incredible experience what was that like for you guys to be able to play there i cried yeah <laughs> yeah it was uh I was shaking, you know, like I walked on stage and I was, I was upset. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be there. My brain was telling me, but I was, and it was because of things that we made. And uh, it was overwhelming both in my body's reaction and in my brain. It was very, very, very special. Something I will not forget. Very, very cool. Cool. Is, <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> That's not even close to the right word. It was, it was incredibly validating. Uh, not in a way like a, like a puff up way, but just that we were on the right track. We weren't just, we weren't just messing around. We were doing something that was important. Yeah, it was like a physical experience of being a part of like, the story of music with a capital M, you know, like being a part of 
a place that had such history to it and like we were stepping in to it and playing our music there I think maybe that's what was so overwhelming about it to me was like oh I'm I'm a part of this much larger story of yeah. music and that's a nice way that's to say a really that. mm -hmm. overwhelming feeling was there a piece of it also that was like um, you know, okay, you've, you know, growing up there or being there since, since high school for, for you, Zach, um, you've seen a number of shows there and you, you never in your wildest dreams kind of thought you'd be on, on the other side of the, the stage looking out. I didn't go there very much growing up, um, but I definitely knew it's mystique. Yeah. And, uh, it felt very far away from an actual experience. It felt like that's where they go. That's where Elvis Presley goes, you know. Um, so, in a in like a intellectual thought experiment way, yeah, I I had quietly imagined myself there, but not because I had been there a bunch and daydreamed about it. Yeah, um, I want to I want to talk about one other thing before we get into the new album, um, Humbear. Um, was uh, is a kind of a side project that uh, you you two have, and uh, tell me a little bit about that, and if it's something that you're going to kind of uh, bring back. Yeah, it was a um, it was a chance for us to collaborate with other producers in town and write music that was more geared for sync, um, and kind of just have another branch of our musical lives where we could did that outside of bird Knocker. so um so yeah that's what that is and it was really writing what we've written um for humbear so far has been they've been really great experiences and you know we've made stuff that um, we wouldn't have made otherwise and so it stretched us a bit and it's been really fun so yeah i imagine that we will revive it uh mm -hmm. probably after this year so yeah, it was it was interesting to have to go into a room and to have somebody basically tell me they know how to make a song, you know, and then to make something within those confines. Like this is where this happens, and then we wrote that part. And our experience writing songs together and separately and as a band um, is not doesn't feel that way. It feels much more floaty and open, for better or worse. So it was kind of not, it was nice. And maybe it even gave me tools. I haven't really thought about this very much to uh, just have access to a different way. You know, uh, it was a, it was beautiful meeting all of the producers. There's very sweet, kind and talented people. Um, but yeah, none of the songs that we created, I think we went in to create them for maybe Bird Talk or two. That was there. It was an option. Uh, but once the process started happening, it felt not correct. It felt better to partition Bird Talker and writing with the producers and to still let the music live in the world. So we, that's why we created that fake band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. And, and so kind of transitioning into the, the new album, um, I think at one point you were going to call it Tides, but you ended up going self-titled. Yeah. That's that, yeah. What what kind of led you to uh, to just uh, to go with the self-titled album for your second album? 
Who, somebody suggested it. Did you suggest it for you, Frank? Did Gerilyn maybe? I don't know. We, I we might went through have. a few different you, maybe, yeah. <laughs> It wasn't a very serious decision. When the album artwork, when yeah. you did the first draft yeah. of the album artwork, and it was a picture of us with that color background, mm -hmm. to me, and it had the words on it. That's, I think that's what my reaction was. Maybe this should just be Bird Talker, and it's a picture of us. Yeah. Because mm. none of our other artwork uh, was a picture of us. Right. Yeah. So it just felt like uh, a reintroduction or basically an actual introduction. That's right. Yes. The art direction was we had decided to make our picture mm -hmm. in front of the album. Mm -hmm. for this and it had project. tides on it, and that didn't, so I think that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah we and I think Gerilyn jumped right on it. And say, yeah. Ooh, that's a good idea. So then there's a little momentum there. Yeah, we sort of, it was very easy to convince ourselves it was a good idea. We sort <laughs> right. of stumbled upon it. Yeah. Uh, the, this collection of songs, certainly for me, at least I'll speak for myself, is the most representative of where we are, like what, what our preferences are musically and um, where our brains have been. And uh, it just feels a little bit more exploratory and creative than what we've made before. And now is as good as time as any to introduce ourselves with the project we're most proud of as Bird Talker. That's how I think we all feel about it. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about a couple of the songs uh, from, from the album. Um, Old Sob Story, that one, I, I think that's probably my favorite. Uh, it's so it's so upbeat and listenable and and the, the feeling behind it, you know, I think you said it's about getting out of your head, um, you know, and and kind of your process towards uh, towards creating it, like you started with scatting a, a bit. Tell me, tell me a little bit about how that song came about. Hmm. It's a bit of a blur. That whole season, it was very concentrated with making a bunch of things. Uh, my routine was to wake up, make coffee, go into the studio, and start touching things. And whatever I touched that felt good that day, I'd follow. Uh, so yeah. I, I grabbed my guitar and strummed some hard chords and just started bumbling out of my mouth some melodies and um, it, you sort of black out in that space. At least I do when I, I don't, maybe you don't, maybe it's super precise for you if you do that. But I, me, I don't make, I don't make music actually. So I'm, <laughs> but, but I live vicariously through you. So. Yeah, it's a very difficult experience to describe other than it feels like you go away a bit. And then after about six hours, you're left with something that, at least for me, feels kind of like, it feels mad, like magic. It feels like a spell was on, my, was on me. Um, sometimes those spells cast out things that sound horrible after you listen to them the next day. And this one just happened to be fun. Um, so that's, it's vague, but that's about all I can remember about it. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so, I mean, we mentioned Tides. Um, that's kind of a relationship song about letting your partner um, be who they are, right? Dan Danny, you wrote that uh, that one, right? So t tell me a little bit about where you're at um, when you came to the came to that point where you're like, okay, I'm able to put this into, you know, into the song and this and it comes out as Tides. Yeah, it's funny. Um, exhaustion. The writing process is often like the discovery process or, or the um, 
Yeah, a lot of times I write before I know how I feel about something. And then I kind of figure it out as I go. So that song, um, it's funny. We wrote My Lover pretty early on in our marriage. And it's become like a favorite wedding song for people and things like that. And I still love that song and it's beautiful. But um, Zach and I just celebrated nine years of marriage yesterday. Congratulations. Yeah, so, um, you know, things don't always feel the way they feel in the song, My Lover. <laughs> um, and yeah, that song was just, what? Um, My Lover? No, Tides. Tides. Kind of like laying everything out. It's almost like to write is like to get a map of what is going on inside of my head. So it's kind of just like laying out the relationship and then kind of um trying to come to a conclusion about it but the conclusion is just like it's like a shoulder shrug i guess this is it i guess <laughs> what we do it's like you can be this way i can be this way if all there is is like in between doing stuff and doing stuff then i guess i'm okay with it being that way <laughs> i guess i'm okay with the changes and the allowing you to be who you are and me to be who i am yeah it's like maybe we're doing it maybe we're doing it right <laughs> yeah trying to chase love down somehow yeah yeah it's so it's 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 funnier than it sounds to me the song is yeah yeah well along those lines like being being married and then kind of having to you know okay so you're, you're making music together right uh, and at the end of the day you have to still be married but you're wanting to write about you know personal and uh, and emotional things like where is that line for you guys are you are you comfortable being vulnerable in that space and being like okay look we got we got these songs and you know we can move past it at that point um boundaries are a real struggle for us oh yeah so it does mostly feel just like a big a big blurry mess um and there are times that i really resent how uh much of our personal life is like tied up in all this stuff yeah um because that it gets tricky and it's um you don't always want to feel like you have to lay all your cards on the table even though that is kind of what we have signed up to do by making music the way that we do so um yeah i would say we we try to maybe separate music from the relationship and i don't know if we do that very well but i don't know it's i mean this tides is our second directly relational song like nearly everything we don't usually discuss a rub between you and i in a song it's usually something you've discovered about your internal world of me doing mine um and then holding space for each other in those explorations mm -hmm. so like directly uh we don't like sort out rubs in songs, if that's sort of what you're asking. Um, we sort of explore our own rubs. Sure. And then talk about those things in a, in a right or separately, not even relating to music. And then sometimes things come up. That sounds, that doesn't make a lot of sense what I just said. It, it does, but you know, I mean, because I mean, I, I get where you're going, right? Like you're, you're. It's not all about just a, you know, a relationship. I mean, there's inner, there's individual components that are brought together to make this thing work uh, as, as well, right? 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then better days um, uh, about being in a moment of breakdown. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, that was a pandemic song. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> but not like about the pandemic. No, just, just like you're in this situation, not about the pandemic, but it's just like it led to that, right? Like, pandemic was the backdrop. So, yeah, it's, um, that's definitely there in it. I wrote the music in the wake of my experience of the day in the country and the world I was in with COVID being on my mind. The music was there for that reason, for sure. Mm. And then you swooped in with lyrics that were more about stripping away. I mean, I can let you talk about it, but it's relational, right? That's what I remember talking about with you. Yeah, it's funny. I really resisted kind of writing a big sweeping song about the times. <laughs> um, so I wrote it about my own experience of um, what was kind of happening everywhere, which is uh, shit falling apart. Um, so I wrote it about that feeling in me and Zach's relationship. And because um, you go through periods like that where you have a your relationship has a certain life and then it kind of blows up at certain points and then you put it back together and, and keep going. And so um, it was about one of those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And, and getting through this past, you know, year and a half plus, like, I mean, has that um, and, and putting this album together ultimately during that, that period, like, tell me about that, that process of kind of, I'm sure it wasn't exactly what you, you went into it, it with, like you had these ideas beforehand and like, what was the timeline in terms of when it all solidified to become this incredible album? I, I use the word incredible, by the way. I, I really, I really do love it. So. <laughs> Thank you. We do too. Honestly, I think all of us really love it. Yeah. Uh, 2020, March, April, May was coming up with ideas and making demos. And um, I think we wrapped the final song in the studio in August, maybe mm -hmm. that year. 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the songs was written during our studio time. Uh, not all together. I made something at the house and brought it in. Everybody's like, yeah, let's, that's that one. That one's great. We got to do that one. That was Apes in a Daydream. I love that song so much. Um, so we finished it in August-ish. And we were, we had, did we have management? No. No, James really. and Gerilyn were sort of working with us, but we weren't signed or not were we still like November or no, something. We didn't do that so it was in the winter of 2020. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so we didn't have management. We just went into a studio with a friend and made music and had a lot of curiosity about what was going to happen to it because we weren't working with anybody at that point, except for our <laughs> business management who was helping navigate our finances a bit. Um, so we, we poked around for management, took some meetings, and nothing really felt super aligned until um, Gerilyn Sawyer and James Garner, who also manage a band that Brian is in, Tanya Tucker. Uh, we spent some time together and then took a formal meeting, and it felt 
really, really good um, on, on most all levels. Interpersonal, the idea of where we were going, how we wanted to go about doing it, everything just was validated and lined up. And so we've been working with them and they poked around for a record label and we eventually landed on anti-fragile and we're still even building our team. Like we just start hired a radio promoter and are about to hire another one for, uh, for adult contemporary. And, you know, we're still building the team a little bit and the record's not quite out yet. It's still, it's still a story. It's the pages are being blackened still. Yeah. And yeah. along, along those pages being blackened, like, are you planning a tour to support the album? I know you have a couple of shows lined up, but um, what, is, what does that look like for you? We got 30 shows lined up. You have more than a couple shows, okay. <laughs> yeah, we yes. Plan. It's called the Tides Tour, and it's going to be all over the United States, and one show is currently still planned for Vancouver. Um, we're, uh, we're not visiting the Midwest or Florida, really. But besides that, we'll be visiting from, I believe, October 1st through November 21st is we're going to be on the road. I think we're home for about eight or nine days in between runs. But yeah, we're going to be out. We're going to be out trying to share it. And we haven't, there's a little floatiness regarding COVID. You know, we haven't made a statement as a band what's required at venues. And venues usually have their own policies. So we're filtering through all of that right now. Um, but as of right now, all the shows are still on and yeah. we're thrilled. I mean, we're here today. We're going to practice a couple songs and hopefully start getting to a rehearsal space with an in-ear rig and monitors and, um, you know, full volume, which we haven't done in quite a while so that we can, we can hone in transitions and sounds and yeah, we're, we're gearing up for that full tour. That's right. I, f I forgot I had seen that. You guys are coming out here on the West Coast, too, and playing Sacramento, Petaluma, Berkeley. So you have a, a bunch of shows here in the Bay Area, um, which is cool. I'll try and make it out to, I think I might be able to make a Sacramento one. So it'd be good to see you guys live. So never played there before. Yeah, we've never been to Sacramento or Petaluma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. send us a DM and we'll get you on the list. I'll, I'll, I'll hit, you, hit you guys up. So <laughs> very cool. Well, I want to thank you guys for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. And I hope the, uh, the practice goes well and, uh, and the tour is uh, as well ahead, you know, because uh, it's, it'll, be, it'll be amazing to see those songs live. I mean, and just the energy that you guys bring to the album. I mean, I, I can so picture it being amazing to perform live. So, and to see live as a fan. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, we're and excited. Thank you for your time too. Of course, of course. All right. Well, you guys have a great rest of your day then, okay? See you, man. You too, All right. Good to meet you. Yeah. All right. You. Bye. See you in Sacramento. Yes. <laughs> that was the interview with Bird Tucker here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right, I got just a couple stories today um, because uh, I'm gonna save some for uh, the other program that we'll put out a little bit later this week. Um, but 
Uh, first up is Bruce Dickinson uh, from Iron Maiden. He insisted Iron Maiden's new album isn't a concept record. Uh, the iconic metal band typically have a thread running through uh, their albums, but their 17th studio collection, uh, uh, Senjutsu, uh, which dropped last week, is their first in almost six years, uh, but any connections through this one weren't a conscious decision. Um, so Bruce explained in an interview, uh, other than the cover concept, the album is not a concept album. Any connections um, uh, uh, that people make are purely things that we happen to be feeling at the time uh, where we might've been in some kind of weird zeitgeist uh, that we didn't even know uh, we were in. The frontman noted that the band uh, feel they've crafted a diverse album, which does a good job of taking fans on a journey through their musical evolution. Uh, he added, the new record is Unleashed. We've actually got a couple of tunes on there, like Darkest Hour, which comes in around seven minutes or something like that. Gotta love a good seven-minute metal song. You know, it just it takes, you, it takes you to where you want to be. Not No rush to complete the song in three and a half minutes or what have you. you know, right? Just enjoy the, enjoy the music. Um, there's a lot of intro and outro, which is effectively seagulls and waves washing up on the beach. Okay, so there's... Uh, there's a lot of beach music here, huh? Okay, got it. Uh, even the same for uh, writing on the wall. That's a lot of uh, shorter than the version on YouTube appears. Uh, there's a varied bunch of songs on the record, uh, a trip through uh, all the kinds of styles that the band has embraced over the last 40 years. Yes, Iron Maiden's been around for 40 years. It's crazy to think of that, right? So, uh, and uh, the first single, Writing on the Wall, was an easy choice to be a fan's first real taste of the record. One space is Steve Harris made the suggestion. So, um, yeah, it's a little different than what they normally would uh, tap into. Um, all right. Next story up is about Alanis Morissette. Uh, she's making statutory rape allegations in a new documentary. Uh, she alleged that she was raped multiple times at the beginning of her career. According to the Washington Post, the Canadian pop icon opens up about her experiences in a new HBO documentary. It took me years in therapy to even admit there had been any kind of victimization on my part. I would always say I was consenting and then I'd be reminded like, hey, you were 15, you're not consenting at 15, uh, she said during an interview for the film. Now I'm like, oh yeah, they're all uh, pedophiles. It's a statutory rape. It's all, uh, uh, the singer did not reveal the identities of her alleged abusers, but noted that she had told uh, people about the incident at the time. I did tell a few people and it kind of fell on deaf ears. It would usually be a stand up, walk out of the room moment. Um, she continued, this is not the first time the Jagged Little Pill Hitmakers brought attention to sexual assaults in the music industry. Last year, she claimed in an interview with the Sunday Times that assault is common for women in the industry. Almost every woman in the music industry has been assaulted, harassed, raped. It's uh, ubiquitous, more in music, uh, even than in film, she said. Um, all right, um, and for those that are interested, Alanis Morissette is on tour right now. Um, I think she already had her Bay Area show because um, I don't see it listed here right now. Um, uh, no, uh, she's in, she just, uh, She's, you know, early October, she's going to hit the Hollywood Bowl. Before that, she'll hit Vegas, a couple of dates at uh, Vegas uh, as well. So um, I think that's a Jagged Little Pull 20th anniversary tour or something along those lines. Um, all right. Um, so let's end with a story about Foo Fighters, of course. Um, they felt pretty good to win the Global Icon VMA. Uh, 
and that was at the Video Music Awards um, on Sunday. The walk hitmakers were introduced to the stage at Brooklyn's Barclays Center by Billie Eilish, who hailed them as heroes and legends before they performed their hits, Learn to Fly, Shame Shame, and Everlong. Uh, they actually did this melody. I was watching it um, early this morning um, when I couldn't sleep. Um, different story there, but, uh, but they, uh, played this like you know combination um, of all of their songs and reduced them and it was it was pretty cool um, and then took to the podium to accept the accolade uh, joined on stage by bandmates Nate Mandel, Pat Smear, Taylor Hawkins, Chris Shiflett, and uh, Remy Jaffe. Uh, frontman Dave Grohl said, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for having us here tonight. It's quite an award to receive. We've been a band for 26 years, so it feels pretty good. After a list of thank yous, which included all of the people at MTV past and present, um, uh, Dave Quip, thank you very much for the award. We'll see you in 26 years. Um, what's not mentioned is uh, he did actually thank some people by name including Matt Pinfield uh, who uh, was a, a, a big part of um, MTV um, he added the show 60 minutes on MTV uh, and we had him on uh, concert pipeline earlier in the year actually uh, when um, one, one of the bands that he produced January Jane was on the, the program uh, so um, so that was pretty cool um, all right, so that is the story of uh, Foo Fighters and winning um, the Icon Award. Uh, that is our show for today. Um, so um, next time on the program, the Pat McManus Band will likely be the, our, our guest um, and really enjoyed a conversation with Pat McManus. Um, it was an audio conversation because he's in Ireland and there wasn't a lot of great service. So we did it uh, over the phone. Um, so that'll be a podcast only episode. Um, but remember to subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already and check out all of our cool videos from, uh, from Bottle Rock as well. Um, so for all of us here at Concert Pipeline, I'm Steve Jones. We'll catch you next time.